This is The Business We've Chosen, a podcast about art and business. As a former entrepreneur turned artist, I realized that being an artist is basically like running a small startup. And you, the artist, are the CEO. In this podcast, I interview successful artists, gallerists, collectors, and talk real numbers. Talk about their businesses, growth hacks, tools and tricks, and how they actually became successful. Hopefully teaching us all a trick or two. This is episode four, and I am Kaladni, your host. This week, we're interviewing self-taught artist, Kathy Zhang, who has turned her art practice into a successful print and consumer product business called the Easy Sunday Club. Excited to learn more about it, so let's jump right in. Kathy, why don't you introduce yourself and tell them who you are and kind of what you do, and then we'll we'll start cracking. Okay. Um, I'll just do a quick like, two-minute intro at the high level, and we can fill in the gap later. Fill in the gaps later. So I'm Kathy Zhang. I'm a self-taught watercolor artist and uh, founder of Easy Sunday Club. That's my art stationery and baby goods brand that was created out of my home dining table. Um, I wasn't always comfortable being an artist or calling myself an artist. As of five years ago, um, I was actually working in tech at what I thought was my dream job, but. Ironically, as these things often happened, uh, it turned out to make me really miserable and unhappy. I was craving a creative outlet um, that I didn't that I was lacking at my job, and um, perhaps it was something that I have kept dormant. My creative side was something that I've kept dormant um, for most of my adult life. So um, I started. I felt inspired, and I started painting every night after work, um, and. I was started sharing it on Instagram back in the heydays when, you know, what you post actually gets seen by most people that followed you. I had a personal account at the time, but no, it was still like a small private account. Um, some friends and family started taking notice. A few people even asked to commission me for original art, which like boggled my mind at the time because I didn't think like any of this was monetizable, to be honest, like back in... 2016. So I went along with it. Um, fast forward a little bit, six months, about six months after I opened up an Etsy shop, just selling my originals and prints. I quit my corporate job, not because I was making enough money at the time. I definitely wasn't. Um, but I was sort of doing the the jumping first and uh, let's find the parachute on the way down kind of thing. Um, I also had some savings, so it wasn't like I was taking huge risks, but I just felt like it was now or never um, and then in the next few years, I started building up different streams of income. Uh, I think currently I have about six. I've added a few, removed a few. Um, and yeah, they keep me on my toes. They keep things interesting for me. And also they're great at you know, just diversifying revenue streams as an artist. So I'll stop there. Um, that, that's actually a great. That's a, a great start. And, you know, it, it's... Um it gets me to a bunch of questions. Um, okay. So the, the the first question I guess I have is, you, what was the catalyst where you were like, okay, I can quit my day job? Like, the what was the the point where you realized? There's usually a moment, like I don't know if it's a sale or a series of sales, or you did a certain amount of money. What was the mm-hmm. catalyst that said I can, you know, something? I'm quitting my mm-hmm. day job. Yeah, it was a little bit of push and pull between what was happening with the art my art and what was happening at my day job. Um, I think it was more of the push 
because I was just so unhappy <laughs> at the job and and like you no know, I did some math about how long I could go without making any money as an artist if I had you know no other income like based on my savings so there's a lot of of that like deliberate planning involved but on my art side like I was you know with Etsy shop I was making sales I launched my shop and got like um decent and number number of sales um during launch Could, um can it, I can I ask actually can I ask two questions I'm gonna uh, yeah bump in what was a de- in your mind at that point what was a decent amount of sales um and when you say your your launch how did you officially quote unquote launch your yeah, Etsy uh, side. Yeah, the Etsy side. Um, I'm trying to remember. So your first question is, what was decent amount of sales? Uh, when I first launched it, it was mainly to my Instagram account. So it was majority of them were friends and family that purchased. Um, I got, I think I got like 12 sales that weekend, which to me was decent because my benchmark was probably like three to five (laughs) or anything at all. Um, But then even during that time, during the prep time, um, I had a few friends, like I said, I commissioned me for artwork. Um, I also was invited to an art auction. So there are like different data points that help support the notion that like this was something that what I create is something that people out there willing to pay for. Um, it's also invited to an art auction where I would donate a piece of art for charity auction. I know it was a donation, but that piece of art was sold during a pre-sale. So like, I think they invited VIP members to um, to like, view the gallery before the show opening and my piece was sold before the actual opening. So I thought like, okay, a total stranger who has no idea who I am bought this piece, um, albeit it was for a good cause. Like that was still enough validation for me at the time to say like, there's something to it here. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it sure does. I'm, uh, and when you started pricing your work at the time, at, like mm-hmm. how did you determine, how, how did you come up with price? And actually I'm going to ask, Back when you were doing that, were you doing like originals because you obviously weren't, or was it still postcards? Like, because your your work seems to, I mean, it, it's beautiful work, but it seems to be driven towards product. It's it seems product mm-hmm. driven as opposed to uh, artwork driven. It's evolved to a lot more to be a lot more product driven. Uh, that's good observation. But at the time, I it was definitely more originals and prints, open edition prints. So. Um, like the one that I auctioned off was original. Um, what I posted to my Etsy shop was a mix of original and prints. Um, and in terms and, of how, and what was I, the price? What was the price point approximately at the time when you first started? Yeah, I'll just say first that I definitely priced it too low. Um, I'm actually not we, we sure all, because we I all was, do, by the way. Just so you know. Yeah, <laughs> but I also thought as a you know seven month old artist, like I didn't know how to properly price what my art was worth at the time. I didn't have the confidence to price it higher. Um, so my originals were priced between, gosh, okay, I'll tell a, a better story. Um, my original for what my first commission I've ever done was $50 for an eight by 10 inch piece. I did it three times. It took me 12 hours and I made $50. <laughs> So that was the first I'm assuming, I assume I assume your rate for originals has gone up since then. 
Yes, it has. And okay. I no longer take commission. So that's. The okay. I watched it. Uh, I see you also do like some, some YouTubing as well. Yes. And I, I kind of caught some of the videos. Um, <laughs> And you, you had a little rant about commissions. Would you would you care to elaborate what 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 soured you to the commission game? <laughs> yeah, uh, without regurgitating my entire video, um, I just I didn't like client work. Like I was already doing some commercial client work on the side, and I just didn't want the majority of my time to be bogged down by client work. And what I mean by that specifically is just a lot of times with these. Um, like individual-based, consumer-based commission work, you're taking someone else's vision. And a lot of times that customer is not there. They don't have art or design background. That's why they hired you to do the commission, right? So they don't necessarily have the language to express what they wanted. And so it's hard to know what they want or don't want till you show them what you got. And then they come back and tell you that's not what they're looking for, but they don't really quite know what they're looking for. That's one reason. Another reason is um, a lot of times with the medium that I work with, like watercolor, kind of like illustrative, painterly illustration type of art, um, most of the people that came to me wanted me to paint their dogs. And I just I just couldn't do it after the 20th dog. <laughs> like There's only so many times I could paint a golden retriever in, you know, a different pose. So those are the two main reasons. And, and two, two very acceptable reasons. So yeah, how I long thought, was Go ahead. Oh, yeah, just one more thing. Um, and I also thought I didn't price my work correctly because I didn't factor in all the time I was spending doing the admin, you know, the customer service and invoicing, and like getting on calls or email, trying to understand their vision, all of that. I was just calculating roughly based on what I spent sitting down and painting and sketching, which is just not very fair to um, for my time. But then I thought even if I priced it higher, I still, like if I even 5x what I was charging, I knew long term I wasn't going to enjoy it. So I just, I didn't want to be burnt out as a creative when I was just starting out. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, we're going to get to some of those time constraint questions in a little bit, but how long did it take you before you realized that this wasn't the direction you wanted to go? And then once you have made that realization that this was kind of your bread and butter that you kind of left your work for, mm -hmm. at what point did you be like, I need a new business model? And how did you experiment or figure that business model out and make that transition? Yeah. Um, it, uh, moment or month I made that decision was end of 2018. So it was year two of my business. Uh, I was taking okay. So you did two, you did two years of commission work. Yes. And I was also selling, um, prints and I started doing wholesale too, wholesaling of my prints to like boutique gift shops. So I had three revenue streams up to that point, but commission was my, Oh, I'm sorry. It was 2017. So it was a year and a half into my business. Um, I had three revenue streams at the time, but commission was 60%, I want to say at least at least 50, majority of my art income at the time. Um, and, so, so that's got to be a pretty scary move to be like, okay, yeah. I've made the jump. I'm doing this. I've yeah. gone basically from one business where I'm kind of didn't feel good about like working for the, working for the man, so to speak. And then you yeah. find out you're just, 
find that you've just trapped yourself only to be working for other people that you didn't want to work for. Exactly. Like, how did you like? How, how did you you mentally gra- crawl through that? And how did you figure a way to make those other revenue streams significant enough that you could give up the cash cow? Um, okay, so uh, let me break it down. So when I made that decision that month, I was really burnt out. I had way too many commissions. Uh, it was holiday season, so that's when everyone wanted to paint their dogs or their moms or sisters' dogs. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was working on commissions in a day in and day out. I was also doing client work at the time. So one thing I, I probably miss, I don't know if you'll cover it later about like the financing of your art startup <laughs> uh, when you don't have a day job, is I did take on freelance work um, during the first year. I was working in like digital analytics at the time and that as a freelance job paid better than commission. So that helped me kind of cover some of the loss in revenue. Um, had so I, you took a non-art job to, yes. to, to gap the difference? Yeah. Well, I was already doing some of that um, while I was doing commission, but I just ramped it up. So I like took on more work to cover the losses while I could scale the other side of my art, like scaling my work to more product-based. And how did you, and I obviously Etsy was a channel for you and Instagram. Uh, were there any mm-hmm. other channels that were like really predominant or were those like the two main channels that you did most of your, your action on? Yeah, so a good thing, um, I've had quite a bit of experience working in e-commerce, like right, .com for different large companies. So I knew I wanted e-commerce to be a big part of my um, revenue stream. That was just an area I was more comfortable in. Um, So I opened, so Etsy was kind of the low hanging fruit. It was the easier, the easiest thing to start off. Um, But I started, uh, I built a Shopify site. So my own online shop around mid 2017 course, first year, I didn't do a great job of marketing it. So I didn't have a lot of sales from it. But that was something I knew I wanted to double down on the following year when I had more time freed up from commission. Uh, What was the rest of your question? Well, I'm going to keep asking other ones because you kind of sidetracked me. So you you decided to go the Shopify route. Yes. In terms, uh, as opposed to like some of the more artsy related platforms that you wanted just strict e-commerce. Yeah, and to be honest, I didn't really know what those artsy-related um, platforms were. I knew about Redbubble and Fine Art America. Some of those places you could quote unquote like license your work, but I wasn't. To me, like I when I turned on my business brains, I went to business school too prior to working corporate. Um, it just didn't make sense to me to put up my art. It was like casting a really wide net and hoping that someone would catch. And in 2017, 2018, I just didn't feel like there was a lot of opportunities in those platforms. Um, Same thing with Etsy. I didn't want to rely my income on Etsy or on any platform that could just change their ranking algorithm anytime. Um, So I wanted to own something. Did you have a, what percentage of your work was Etsy versus Shopify at that time? And how has that evolved into the present? I assume you still are are both of those channels. Um, How did you, what is, what does that look like then versus now? uh, Let's see. Etsy and Shopify in 2017. 
Relatively, they were, well, Shopify, I'll tell you, first year I probably made like the first holiday season. December, I probably made less than 200 bucks because I only launched the month before. Um, and Etsy was, <laughs> yeah, well, I have to say it's 200 is better than nothing. But, you know, I I knew it had potential. I just didn't know. Yeah, I, I knew it had to take time. Um, the following year, Shopify definitely exceeded Etsy. And it's one of those things, Etsy sales is very unpredictable year over year. Like some, you know, one year it likes you and likes what you have to offer and it just bumps up your ranking. The next year it forgets that you ever existed. You could go, you know, weeks without any sales. So I don't remember exactly year over year how it fluctuates, but I know starting 2018, my Shopify uh, was generating more sales and because I had more return customers. And that's one of the advantages to having your own domain is because people remember your shop versus like, I got this art print from Etsy. Um, I do, I still have repeat customers from Etsy, but it's just like in terms of average order value and repeat customer rate, they were way higher um, on Shopify. So you're obviously a, a biz and analytics person. Like what are those, what are the, and you just tossed around some, some, obviously some, Sorry. some key performance metrics for you, like KPMs and stuff to, yeah. to get business schooly on you. Um, what are the metrics that you actually track and you look for? Um, the thing that popped out to me and no, I was doing as an experiment too. That's part of my business training was trying something and seeing how it, how it works and how I could improve it. Uh, with Shopify, I noticed my average order value. So that's how much someone on average spends on an order from you. It is an average, so the range could be very wide. Like if someone only bought a $5 card or another person could be spending like over $100, right? So averages, uh, my average at the time was about 50 on Shopify and on Etsy, it was only... Um, I don't know what Etsy was actually. Oh no, I do. I did the math. It was less than thirty dollars. I only know ballparks. I don't know exact numbers right now. That's that's quite all right. I mean, we, we didn't. We didn't. I didn't tell you to come prep with with spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah. the, what? Uh, just as a point of reference, just so everybody um, listening kind of knows. So can you just give me a rough idea of kind of what your product? breath looks like now and kind of what price points are like from cards to blank, like all the different categories you kind of work and the, 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 the different dollar amounts just to give us a frame of reference. And could you also let us know what was like the two set 2017, 18 price, like when you first started versus mm -hmm. what do you get away with now? Okay. Do you want it? me to include originals in that or no is that uh, i'm fascinated about the like so one of the things that actually really fascinates me and because most everybody here like the, in 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 our in our art community you know th these are all we're all for the most part you know up and coming artists so to watch okay. and understand how different artists choose different revenue streams okay. and different ways to make money obviously originals I would assume the bigger your 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 derivative business is, the more pricing pressure and power you get for originals. But I could be off, um, and I'm fascinated to, to understand how you separate those from a pricing standpoint, and how you look at those, and how those have both scaled over time. Mm -hmm. um, surprisingly, and I was surprised by that too. The more demand I had for the reproductions and products, the less. 
um, there was for my originals. I don't know how to quite put my finger on it, but really? I was selling originals well. And it's not because of price, I don't think, because I didn't bump up the price for my originals by that much. Um, I don't know if it's just there's too much noise because now I'm offering you know four or five different product categories versus before when I released a collection, it was just all originals and then prints. So yeah, that was something I was surprised about too. Um, so in terms of my breadth of products now, uh, I have something. So my cheapest product is a greeting card. It's five dollars. Um, it does drive more repeat sales because it's a card that you give away. Um, and then I have prints that range from twenty four to sixty dollars. Um, over three different sizes. And then I have, uh, like I said, I've started entering into the baby products. So I had my designs printed on um, baby blankets. And that's actually my best seller this year or in the last two years. And that is priced at $60. And that also allowed me to expand the wholesale side of my business, which is selling to um, gift stores, retail stores at... Um, a markdown at a now, discount. Now, who does the production on Do you do the production on all these or do you, you do farm that out? And what's what kind of margin are you working with on all these things in terms of production that you and that you're able to offer wholesale discounts? Like what what yeah. what do those margin spreads look like? Yeah, no, good question. Um, I just did the math on that recently too. <laughs> um, Fantastic. The blankets are the only ones I farm out. Everything else I still create in-house in my home studio. Kind of have, you know, I, uh, if you go on my YouTube channel, I'm very transparent about all the tools we use to create all of our home, all of the products that we hand make from home, um, from prints to cars to, you know, everything. Um, in terms of margin, the highest margin item I have are my art prints um, because I do print them from home and I figure out, like, I've, found a way to streamline the process. So um, there's part of it that's printed on demand or print to order when someone orders, let's say like an extra large size print, I could just go to my printer, print it out and package it and send it out the same day. Um, but if there are some smaller prints uh, that are more popular, like I know I, I'll be able to generate recurring sales from them, then I'll print them ahead of time. And the margins on those prints, like on my larger prints, they're probably like 85%. Um, on the smaller prints, that's nice. 60 to 70. And what kind of discount do you give for your wholesale purchaser? And, um, and I assume there's, I assume there's minimum quantities that you sell. Yeah. There's minimum dollar amount for each order. Uh, I believe right now it's one depends on the platform I'm on 150 to 175 and the markdown. So the discount is 50%, which is pretty industry standard. So I need to be able to absorb that 50% discount uh, with my current margin, which I can with my print. So I have and, yeah. every, every, every question you answer brings like five more questions up. <laughs> That's good. Um, what is, um, what percentage of your business is wholesale versus uh, direct sale? 
<laughs> uh, that's a good question too, because it just changed as of 2020 because um, of the global pandemic. And the wholesale side of my business just vanished overnight last March. Uh, it's on slow recovery, but a few of my retailers have closed permanently um, and haven't really made it a priority to grow that side of my business yet. Um, just because, I don't know, I keep going back to just growing more like online presence. So um, before COVID, it was 40%. Uh, and after, it's much lower than that. <laughs> Were the pieces that you did for wholesale and for distribution, do, are they branded in such a way that your name is... Uh, that your name is your name and information is there, so people can track track you back, or do those kind of just disappear into the ether? Yes, uh, good thing all the retailers I've partnered with they allow me to put in my own. At least I haven't heard anyone complain. But um, the way I package them, I have one of my like they're like artsy business card. It's kind of like a mini print with my website, Instagram, uh, social media handle on there on the back of the print. Um, so it's always branded to my own business so that when a customer buys a print or a blanket, they can um, buy directly from my website next time if they want to. And that has happened um, before quite a lot. So Wholesale has been good at expanding my uh, brand awareness too. Like That was a indirect benefit to it. And I, I feel like in general, it's worth the offering the discount um, to have that that geographic expansion benefit because I, I can't possibly reach like unless I'm throwing a bunch of money on ads like I can't possibly reach you know all the different corners of US and Canada that um, I can with these retail partners so brings up more great questions did you how did you find your wholesale people was it like trade shows or was it just people found you and do you spend money on ads to drive traffic to your sites um, or your site, um, or what are, what are your main traffic drivers, I guess, to your, to your site? For, so your first question was wholesale. How did I find the retailers? Um, I started locally and that's what I recommend for everybody. It's one of the videos I created on my YouTube channel too. Uh, I lived in Portland when I started my business, I was in Portland. Um, they had a very supportive like artisan creative community. Also, there are a lot of small businesses, so retail shops. So I just went in the shop and kind of cold pitched my art to them. Um, or I you know, asked for contact information of someone who was a decision maker, usually the shop owner, because they're a small mom and pop. And I just try to follow up through email and go from there. So I um, that's how I started. I only went to one small trade show. I didn't do the big ones that um, some of you might know from like New York or um, Vegas. I didn't do any of that because uh, I was too physically frugal <laughs> as an art startup. So it was a lot of just scrappy, cold emailing and walking in. And slowly, I expanded out to a few other states, um, not by visiting them in person. I still did a lot of cold emailing. I mean, it was, you know, you get like a 5% hit rate, like maybe 7%. And out of that, one or two people uh, will actually buy something from you. But it was a numbers game at the time. Uh, but now there are platforms out there that help you reach retailers, like FAIR is one. Um, there's a bunch of others, at least a handful of them in the market now. 
And what was that last? The platform you said was FAIR? FAIR, F-A-I-R-E. You can apply. I think they have requirements on, like, you need to have... That's, yeah, unfortunate. But when I first joined, I don't think they had the requirement, but they needed you to have um, some existing retail presence. So you can't be, like, a brand new... Um, business with no retail store. That's why, I, going back to my point, I think it's beneficial to start locally first. I go to your local coffee shop and ask them if they would sell your prints or postcards or you know, magnets or whatnot and just go from there. And so what platforms in general do you use now? Is it just Shopify and Etsy or is there like a list of kind of platforms that you, that you focus on? For uh, for direct to consumer, that I use mostly Shopify and Etsy. And what percentage do you still get direct from like Instagram, or is that business dried up because of uh, algorithm changes? It has dried up, but I can't really tell the difference. Like um, on Shopify, it tells you when you receive an order, it tells you in the order. There's like a snippet of analytics there that tells you where the traffic came from. So once in a while, I still do get an order from Instagram. Um, but a lot of them, sorry, what was your question? Like where, where does most of your traffic, or, or if you know, where does your traffic kind of originate from? Like oh. or where, where, where does kind of your new business arrive from? Like how are people finding you? Yeah, um, actually... A lot of it, about a third from last year came from Google. So that's like a combination of people typing in Easy Sunday Club. Maybe they saw something, one of my products at a retail store, and they just looked me up online, or they're looking for something specific, or what's that's more, you know, like search engine optimization, like SEO focus. I don't spend a whole lot of time optimizing that side of like that channel, quote unquote channel. But um, I do notice that quite a bit of traffic came from Google. Um, I get some Pinterest traffic too. They don't convert to orders as um, well because Pinterest more of like a discovery search engine. But once in a while I get Pinterest orders too. Do you so post up to Pinterest or does, yes. do, do people just post their stuff? Uh, so where, I, are you, where are you doing most of your posting? Like where are you doing most of your, your pushing it out there? Nowadays, it's between Pinterest and still Pinterest and Instagram. Um, I don't consider SEO really pushing anything else. You're just kind of updating your site to make it more searchable. So if someone, you know, if you Google like a watercolor fox art print or something, mine might show up in the search results. So, and, and that sometimes generates sales for me. So Do mostly Pinterest. Put- Mostly, and do you put money behind any of these campaigns, or do you put like advertising dollars, or is it pretty much all organic? It's been mostly organic. I've only started dabbling in advertising this year because I, I have a little bit of extra funds to set aside for that, but it hasn't been that successful. Um, I'm also not like I hired someone to help me with it, and I don't know if she's like a. I don't know if that was her domain of expertise per se it was just someone that like i i needed help i needed to offload one of these um roles and responsibility and she just helped me with it so i don't know if it was um 
for like lack of understanding of how it works or it just didn't work for me. So I don't want to write it off yet. I just, I'm just taking a pause on it now because it didn't um, bring me, like, I think I broke even on it, but you know, you don't want to break even on, on ads. And that brings up another question. Do you have a team? Have you grown your business enough that you've obviously needed to hire this one person, but you have other people mm-hmm. that you hired? Um, and if so, what kind of roles do you have those people doing? Yeah, my team more consists of like domain experts, I guess. I don't know if you count accountants and lawyers, but I've had an accountant since the beginning. Um, it's obviously like not a full-time person on my team. I also hire during holiday season. That's when like all the manual labor, the, the packaging and order fulfillment gets more out of control. So I'll hire... Uh, have like a part-time helper for that. Um, also had an assistant that work on um, influencer outreach back when I was uh, experimenting with influencer outreach for my baby products. So I don't do these things year round and I just kind of hire help as, as needed. Hold on. I guess, sorry, I just having trouble with the mute button. Um, I guess that brings me to the question, just as a point of reference, just because now that I'm thinking back, you started with uh, 12 sales. Um, what, what's a what's a good week or month in terms of sales volume now? Um, obviously, it's probably seasonal just because of the nature of your business. But mm-hmm. like, what does it look like now as compared to when you the, the first 12 that you sold? Yeah, I mean, it's, my business has also evolved a lot too. Like I said, I have six different income streams now, like including YouTube. So when I, my time is divided to different areas, like sometimes those other areas get neglected, but that's kind of part of my personality to mix it up. But no, when I, my, in like a successful launch month, I would hit over five figures that month um, from online sales, but that's not a typical month, I would say. Um, nice. just because it was, it was a good launch. <laughs> Thanks. And what are the, what are the six streams now? Uh, so it's online to direct to consumer, uh, wholesale. I have a licensing. So I license some of my ready-made designs to, um, like art publishers or manufacturers that sell to large retail stores. So they're kind of like the middleman. They'll take They'll license one of my or some of my images and then wholesale it to, let's say, like Target or Home Goods, um, places like that. That part we used to be a larger portion. Um, I just haven't been nurturing it as well. I have two companies that I work with. Um, but I just, you know, you, I get a check every quarter from each of them. So that's nice because <laughs> it's it's pretty passive. It's probably the truest passive income that I have. Um then I have... And did you find them or did they find you? Um, both of them, I found them. I pitched to them. One is through a referral. The other one, I Googled and I sent an email. If you don't ask, you don't get. Exactly. Uh, let's see. And uh, I was on number three, four... YouTube, so I have two streams of income from YouTube. One is from the ad revenue. And YouTube is relatively new too, just in the last year and a half. Actually, we were only monetized last summer, so it hasn't even been a year yet. Um, and then we have some affiliate revenue from YouTube, 
when we show you know, the things that we work with, um, like cardstock that we use for our greeting cards or something. That's not a big portion of it. Some months are good, other months are not great. It's it's pretty variable, but that's still one income stream. And it's right now that uh, the affiliate revenue is higher than our than my licensing revenue. But I guess those two are not directly related to my art. You know, they're more like um, content creation related to my art business. Um, and then also do that, client work. Do you find that those, the, like the YouTube and the licensing, do you find those sales, con, do you find those channels convert back into your original, um, your original direct consumer or wholesale channels, or do they kind of live on their own? Yeah, another good question. Actually, I didn't think they would, but uh, they are starting to. I think because people feel, I don't know if it's like a gesture of gratitude for all the free content we're putting out. Some people would just buy like a couple of cards. Um, a lady recently bought one of my originals, uh, my original paintings from YouTube. I knew that because Shopify says my orders from from YouTube. So that was a nice surprise. So it's starting to get there. Um, I didn't think that there was a direct correlation because the people that watch my YouTube videos are also other artists who want to sell their own work. <laughs> so I don't think they necessarily were in the market to buy other people's art, but I guess sometimes it works out that way. And also I think sometimes they just buy something from me to see how I package them. <laughs> that makes sense. It's like almost like a market research order, which is fine. Oh, interesting. The uh, we're, we're big believers, you know, as part of the, the TMFA community, we're, we're big believers in supporting each other's art and helping other artists and and doing oh. what we can when we can. So That's we're, we're we're yeah we're 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 big fans of that. Yeah. Um, the and what are your uh, originals sell for now? If you don't mind me asking. Um, my originals now sell between. So I tend to paint in smaller format, um, like eight to ten to twelve by sixteen on watercolor paper, and they range between. 150 to 300. So still not okay, so that still high, modestly, but, So still yeah. pretty modestly priced. Yeah. Now, have you, have you experimented with, with bumping the original price up like crazy amounts just to see if you can get away with it? And, I have Or have you seen? That's a good idea. I should just to see. Well, I, I would think like, I would think that that, you know, just cause they're kind of one-offs and they're kind of one thing. I would assume that price is more inelastic and mm-hmm. that you can kind of get away with getting, you could probably get away with some sort of multiple from that without realizing. Yeah. I also think it has to do with the subjects I'm painting too, because I've kind of found a niche market for my art over the years where it's more focused on um, like nurseries and kids' children's room or, I mean, not always, but that's one of the niches. So I feel like in those markets, people would rather pay for or they don't care to own something i might be wrong maybe i haven't found the right market for it i'm sure their parents will spend you know thousands on original art for their kids room that's just maybe because i'm not in that market i don't think it exists but that's my guess um but yeah i should try it out in my next collection and just yeah experiment see see if it if it if it affects your your overall sales you, you might find that there's a a big chunk of change that you've been kind of leaving on the 
Mm-hmm. We, we tend as artists, and one of the things that we found through a bunch of these interviews is that all of us tend to drastically underprice our work and <laughs> underprice our value. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's sort of confronting that just personally and professionally. And then also having the courage to, to, to do that. I mean, you have the fortunate, the ability that, that, that you have like all these other interesting revenue streams that mm. the, the differential, like even if your original sales fell off, in theory fell off a cliff, it wouldn't drastically affect your overall business, I would imagine. Yeah. And I um, mean, this year it hasn't been, it's been a bit, I've haven't sold that many originals this year. Um, usually I would sell when I launch a collection, I go send it to my, and it's usually like people from my email list that will buy a couple pieces, but um, that hasn't been the case this year. Uh, and how many collections a year do you usually do? Not that many, like one or two. Uh, when I say collections, just no originals, but I also launch like new products. Um, so I and guess, kinda... like how yeah, much time do you spend on actually making art versus everything else? And like, what are the, what do those percentages look like from a, you know, an actual you as creator getting to actually create versus you as CEO of, of easy Sunday club Inc. Uh, yeah. Uh, I wish I could spend more time creating. I just, now I'm wearing so many hats, uh, that I could go, I mean, there were times where I go weeks, like maybe like almost a month and a half without painting. Well, I still, you know, oh, like wow, have an art much. practice. Like I, I'll paint um, meditatively to relax, but I don't paint for the sake of like creating something that I would sell. Um, so I could go like, a couple months without it. But I also have a pretty deep library of products that is out there in the ethers. <laughs> so I feel like it doesn't, affect my sales immediately. Of course, like people want new things when I'm coming out with a new print or something like I, obviously it boosts the sales temporarily. So I know there's, I I need to have a more consistent art practice is the takeaway from this, this question. I think um, that's what I'm realizing. Um, but yeah, just sometimes, I mean, I'm sure you know this too, like on a day where you have to be on, um, you have to do like three interviews and you have to like answer a bunch of emails. It's hard to just switch your mind to painting mode or to creating mode because that there is that cost to contact switching. Um, in my experience, what do you think? I, you know, something I'm horribly ADD. Um, so switching <laughs> randomly from thing to thing and topic to topic and, and, art piece to art piece has never been the issue for me if anything okay. it's just the opposite um, nice. I'm, I'm, I'm usually all over the map so i was working on a, like four different projects today barely inching any of them along um <laughs> plus getting ready for this interview etc cetera, etc cetera. so i, I yeah. you know <laughs> um so my, my my practice these days has been a bit more random to, to say the least Gotcha. Yeah, sometimes I find that I'm I'm actually more productive working on four pieces of paintings at the same time because um, I'm a completionist when it comes to painting. That's why I think a lot of my pieces are smaller because I, once I'm sitting down painting, I I want to finish it. I might step back and come back the next day and and add some finishing touches, but I'm not one of those. I think that's why I can never be an oil painter because <laughs> I can't just 
step away and come back and like finish off like something that was 25% done. Like with watercolor, there's a sense of urgency, right? Because the layers dry up. You can't just easily erase it. You can't like cover a layer with another layer of paint. So I think that's why the medium works really well for me. And when I have four pieces going at the same time, like, okay, I got to finish this by five o'clock because I got to finish, pick up my kid. And that's when I'm the most productive. (laughs) So I don't think that's, maybe that's not ADD. That's, yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just watercolor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, do you do do you ever retire works? Like, do you ever like retire a particular image, or is it always kind of available in perpetuity? Or do you find that like that the finality of these things inspires kind of like that last breath of sales? Um, yeah, I do. That's a really that's another good question. You're asking really good nitty gritty questions that I like know the answers to, but I never, I've never been asked. So good job um, to <laughs> Thank answer you. it. Um, I actually, that was something I experimented too last year. Uh, that was the first time I officially retired things. Usually, like you said, I do retire things just by the finality of things no longer selling. Um, but I felt this itch to just clean up my online shop because I was just listing too many things. And I think it led to, it could lead to analysis paralysis for people who are shopping on there. Anyway, so I did a, uh, what did I call it? Like to be discontinued or to soon to be retired print sale. And it did pretty well. Uh, I just looked at whatever I have in stock that I've pre-printed, uh, marked them down. And yeah, it was like one of the better sales I've um, released to my email list. So that's probably what I'll be doing more of going forward. And you said email list. So this is this is an area where I used to pay much more attention. I've been very bad lately. Um, yeah. how, how how important is your email list, and how often do you send emails out? Um, and how like how do you kind of utilize that email list? Because I know usually a lot uh, often artists kind of like poo poo it or second guess it or worried about harassing people or worry about sending too many emails. Um, yeah. How do you kind of approach the email relationship with your with your uh, clients. Yeah, I have felt all of those things too when I first started building out my email list. I thought, like, you know, I hated seeing unsubscribes when I send an email once in a blue moon. Like, oh, you don't want to hear from me anymore. I only send email like once a quarter. And yeah, all of those things. So it's uh, relatable. Um, I was really glad that I had an email list, even though a really small one, when Instagram was changing up their algorithm back in, I don't know, 2018 or so, when it was obvious there was a drop off in, you know, percentage of people that were following you and seeing your your posts. So um, I distinctly remember when I launched a collection of originals and prints, um, I usually released to my email list first and to Instagram the next day. Uh, I got sales from email lists, and when I pushed it to Instagram, I thought, hey, the last time I released this to Instagram, which was six months ago, I got a lot of sales. This is just going to be another thing um, to, you know, like boost my launch sales. And like, I got crickets, zero. I got zero sales from Instagram that day, uh, the day I launched it. So that was kind of a wake up, wake up call for me to not rely on Instagram too much. Um, yeah, I and think why it's... I was grateful to have have an email list. 
Yeah, I think that was one of the like the I've I've found for my person at least with Instagram it used to be my greatest channel, um, mm-hmm. and then like everybody else, it kind of changed. I've been experimenting now because basically I've gotten into video production because it seems the only thing that they're they, they want their reels thing to run. So I'm kind of floating much more video content, but yeah. I'm not horrible at making videos. Um, but at least it gets a lot. At least I can see how many eyeballs they get, and they get yeah. substantially more visibility than my still my still work. Nice. So You're talking about the reels. Score. Yeah, I, I try to do reels and. Mm-hmm. I try to do only do reels these days, so I'm going to try to mix it up a little bit. But the 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 content is um, the content is pretty good uh, in terms yeah. of they 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 show you like how many people actually went and saw it and how many people played it. And I seem to get more comments on it and more likes. So nice. I'm glad it's working out. Do you also repurpose the content to like TikTok or somewhere else? You know, I actually go the other way. So I start with TikTok. Uh, just because I find the interface the reels is just like a crappy copy of TikTok, And so I find yeah. that the interface for making the videos is much cleaner and simpler. And TikTok mm-hmm. seems to have like the music algorithm nailed. Like it yeah. just like suggests exactly the right music. Um, yeah. and so it, it, I find it's easier to make it there and then float that right away to, um, to Instagram as opposed nice. to Nice. I've heard that, um, when like Instagram, they don't like people repurposing content from TikTok back to Instagram. So if you have that TikTok marker on your video, they will suppress your views. Have you had experience with that? Or you know, you're... you know something? I have not experimented with that, but I mm-hmm. now that you mentioned that, I will give it a shot. I will, I will, I, maybe I'll take that. Like I've just put a video that came from that. Maybe I'll uh-huh. take it down and float the exact same video and see if yeah. I get more traction. Yeah, or even just float the next one, not from TikTok, just make it within Instagram. I'd be curious because they're all hearsays. I don't know if they're true or not, but I can see something. That's something that Instagram would would do. For sure. Uh, I like the idea. And once again, this is one of the things that that I like to talk about a lot is, is, is experimentation, right? Both in your art practice as well as in your more so even in your marketing practices um, to try to see what generates those, to, to see what generates click-throughs, to see what generates sales, to see what generates, um, you know, upside for, for, for your business and your practice. For sure. Um, so Kathy, we are starting to get towards the end. Uh, I often ask some people in the audience if they want to come up, if anyone that has any questions, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, to, to see oh. what we have. Yeah, I think I had a hand raised, but sorry, I yeah, canceled I, it because I'm kind of new at this. So if you, yeah, you no raise your hand. I yeah, think it was Ryla. If you want to ask answer a question ask a question again, feel free to raise your hand. Hello. Oh, I think Sean just got kicked off. But Ryla, if you want to come up, I can bring you up here. Okay, let's see if I'm doing this right. I knocked myself out of my own room. That was super impressive. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I was, that was like, and I am gone. <laughs> <laughs> and just like that, I've disappeared. I'm yeah, I said five fat. o'clock. We still got seven minutes, Sean. Fat uh, thumbs. I just boop, got myself out of the room. Uh, Ryla, what was your question? Um, I didn't have a question. I just wanted to chime in on that TikTok to Instagram Reels thing. I have actually heard that as well, that if you have the TikTok watermark, they suppress it. Um, 
but I found that they weren't really doing that. I don't know if they're going to move more towards that. I think they would lose a lot Mm -hmm. because a lot of people do transfer from TikTok to Instagram. And I've Mm -hmm. had videos that have watermarks and videos that don't. And um, the ones that do, it's all dependent on the sound. Like if the sound gets picked up in an Instagram Reels linked sound that is popular right now that they're actually putting through um, their algorithm, that's when you get picked up on views, which is really interesting. Um, So it's just just a matter of picking the right sound that (laughs) is actually popular in the algorithm at that point in time. That's Um, interesting. And that's the copycat of... Uh, the TikTok algorithm too, right? right? With TikTok, if you pick a popular percent. song, you could just, I you know, I've seen videos where someone just staring at the screen and they get millions of views because they're using the right song. So that's yeah, and they And they drive you to that. They they drive you to that, the, that those songs and that content. Mm. Um, right. And I mean, some of cat- the content that's linked to the sounds is like, it's very different. There's not one sound is for like one specific um, topic of, of right. anything. It's just like, <laughs> random videos attached to a sound so yeah it's very interesting um, I did have one nice. question when you get um like your prints made mm-hmm. how how do you go about that process how did you start that process without knowing someone who gets makes prints <laughs> do you <laughs> do you create a digital first and then the digital was made or the, the original that was a hand watercolored yeah. Uh, and also, was, what kind of printer do you use? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, actually, a lot of those, um, I have a few YouTube videos about that. You can check it out, but I'll give you the short version. Uh, it was a lot of trial and error. I, I do digitize my artwork because they're all hand-painted watercolors, so I scanned it in. Sure, I, I was experimenting with taking photos of my painting, uh, but it just it didn't work out. Like I was catching, there was a lot of light pollution and I'm not a photographer, so it just didn't work out for me. So I found a, I bought a scanner, printed, uh, scanned my art, digitized it, cleaned it up in Photoshop. And then it was just a lot of trial and error trying to find the right paper <laughs> that will print my uh, watercolor on well. Uh, I think I've changed so it was more of a, like three it was times. more of a, a paper issue than a printer issue. It was both. Um, well, we already had a printer. It was a hand-me-down, so fortunately, we ha- we knew what we had to work with. Um, it was an well, so you print you print them yourself. Yes, I oh, awesome. I okay, make all of my prints myself. That's how I was able to get the high profit margin that I was telling Sean about. Um, yeah, and you no, know, the printer that I have, they can print on any type of um, paper, like fine art paper. I was using the clay, um, the archival the Epson archival paper for a while, but they were costing too much and they kept raising the prices. So at the price I was charging, it just didn't make sense profit margin wise. And people weren't complaining when I switched out to a a cheaper paper because the quality was still there. It was just, it it wasn't as like sick, a thick and velvety as the art paper I was using. I think, yeah, again, I can't speak for all types of art. Obviously it depends on like who you're selling to, but most of the time, like normal people can't tell the difference between archival or not for obviously like not like fine art um, prints, but that's that's just more specific to what I sell probably. Okay, Kathy, I have two more questions, both relatively, one's probably simple, one's probably simple also. 
Um, <laughs> first, um, have you done or do you care about the NFT craze? Do do you are you going to play with it? Do you care about it, or is it just so non-relevant to your business lines that you don't bother? Oh, I am interested. In, actually, uh, Alex, I think she's in the audience. I watched some of her videos explaining NFT and how it could help the art artist community. They're really helpful. I just don't have the bandwidth to take it on. It's like, oh, I've have just so much going on, but I am interested in it. Um, is there a follow up to that? No, I was just, it was, um, it's more just because we're like in NFT times that I feel I have to ask everybody and kind of like what their focus is and what they're doing with it. Um, the, or if, if, if they're not, um, we can save the, the ideas and planning for that when we have a, we can do this at another time and, and get it. My last question sure. is how did you come up with the name Easy Sunday Club? Ah, uh, uh, good, good we'll question. With some, good last we'll, question. We'll end with some branding. <laughs> yeah, uh, it wasn't by chance for sure. I did a lot of uh, word search exercise or <laughs> wordplay exercise. Um, ultimately, I landed, I wanted to land on something. Oh, actually, it was not. It was kind of a little bit of chicken and egg. Uh, searching for words that were easy to pronounce. So like, I had a different name before that was named after my own name, but like, when I spell out my name, like I have to actually spell it out. And I wanted something that where I could say and people would know how to spell it. Like at least an English speaker could know how to spell it. There's no different ways of spelling the same thing. Um, that was my one requirement. Um, I do recommend the book, Hello, My Name is Awesome. I think I read that book on branding that really helped me um, just to come up with some of the constraints on like what I what I wanted to name. Um, and then I, um, let's see, I was just, I honestly don't remember how I got landed on those three words, but I like that it, the acronym was ESC, which is, you know, the escape button on the keyboard. And I like to say like easy Sunday help a uh, club helped me escape from my miserable like, corporate profession. So that's kind of the chicken and egg thing. Um, and also the logo itself is a sea turtle, which I've uh, hired a logo designer to do. I didn't want to do it myself. Um, and sea turtle in, at least in Asian culture, like stands for longevity and persistence. That was something, the values that I stand behind my brand. And then also the sea turtle's tail kind of rough, uh, loosely resemble a paintbrush if you look at it closely. Wow, that question was answered better than I thought it was going to be. Okay. <laughs> um, so for those uh, for for those who want to find your work, uh, it's easysundayclub.com uh, and Easy Sunday Club on Instagram. Um, yes. I assume and it's the same YouTube. on Etsy. Yeah, and if you have questions about how I make like greeting cards, art prints, how to do it yourself, what equipment we use, we're very transparent on our YouTube channel, so you can search for Easy Sunday Club on YouTube. Amazing. Uh, Kathy, thank you so much for sharing your practice and your business with us. Um, we appreciate the insight and the detail. Um, as promised, we'll, we'll get you out. It's 8.01, so we're a minute late. Um, but it has been a phenomenal conversation, and we appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for asking uh, amazing questions and keeping the conversation interesting. Yeah, you made it very easy. Um, <laughs> okay. So, so – Everybody, thank you very much. 
um, give a round of applause and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>